Hi guys, David Collins, your Wesleyan missionary here. I want to get the word out that your interest in the Solomon Islands ministry is greatly appreciated. Thinking of your faithful support over the years, I praise God that he has placed that desire in you to join in what God is doing in other countries. We can co-labor together even though separated by great distances. As you hear me speak, we're moving forward despite the challenges of this COVID-19 pandemic. While I've found myself in Australia for much of this year, I've maintained management of the training centre in the Solomon Islands. Faster internet here has allowed me to upgrade my training credentials and research and develop curriculum. I've also had the chance to personally visit and report face-to-face with churches in Queensland, where I'm free to travel. In the Solomons, our staff, George, Richard, Marcus and Jason, have continued to work on curriculum development and developing the infrastructure of our facility at Noro. The National Superintendent has moved into his new house on site and the church has reached a milestone with the appointment of June Gorakana as the first female district superintendent within the South Pacific region of the Wesley Methodist Church. Early next year, God willing, our Australian Development Manager, Alistair Moss, his wife Elaine and myself, hope to return to the Solomons to resume our ministry on site. We hope to resume full-time ministry training classes at Stillwaters. We also look forward to welcoming an Australian English teacher funded by the Australian government. But for now, I want to encourage you to consider your involvement in our annual self-denial offering. By giving up to a day's income through this special offering, you make a vital contribution to the ongoing work of the Lord. We still have much to do with establishing the Ministry Training Centre for the Wesleyan Methodist Church of Solomon Islands. But your investment represents an expression of your faith in what God will still do in the days ahead. As we read in God's Word, the righteous keep moving forward and those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. Job chapter 17 verse 9. The Lord bless you. What a great bunch of missionaries, hey? It's good to... I tell you what, praise God for what he's doing and praise God for, um, God, you know, for, for raising up people who want to share that mission to, to reach the world with Jesus. I think that's really important. Um, we've got a great bunch of missionaries. I think, you, I think you'd all agree. And uh, it's, isn't it exciting to, to notice... You, you notice a couple of times there during those, during those uh, videos how much they appreciate our prayers, how much they appreciate each of us. I think I just, I, just, I just want you to catch that. That's a, that's a really good thing that we do um, in our church. As David uh, mentioned before, today is an opportunity, I think, I think for us to be able to give towards, uh, towards missions. And what we, what we encourage you to do is, is to challenge you to give the equivalent of one day's wages, whatever that is for you, towards, uh, towards missions. Um, and obviously there's a, di- there's a whole different, different, different uh, bunch of ways that you can do that. Uh, if you didn't come prepared for that this morning, it's, it's fine. But there's offering envelopes at the back. If you make sure that it says missions on there, it would be really important. Um, obviously, you can give online. If you go online and give, make sure it says missions. Uh, if you give up, to, up at the back uh, on, on FPOS, make sure it says missions on it. I hope you get the, hope you get the, uh, the idea. It needs to say missions, right? Um, so... If you didn't come prepared, we're actually going to email out some links and stuff on maybe on Tuesday this week. So, so there'll be opportunities to give. But I just want to encourage you to, to give uh, prayerfully 
and considerately as God might lead you in um, to that into that way. Um, welcome, Dave. Mm. Hey, Hills, how about a welcome to Dave this morning? Thank you. And uh, I think I think it's important for us as a church to actually pray, not only just for for our, for our friend Dave here. But also for all our missionaries. I wonder if you'd actually stand with me because we can do this together. I think, I think it's important that we as a church stand and acknowledge that this is, these are our missionaries, this is our job, and our job is to support and to encourage and pray for them. So would you, do, would you do, join with us as, as we do that? Um, God, this morning we're, we're grateful. We're grateful for each one of these missionaries that you have placed in their different locations, whether, whether it's chaplains who are just down the road or whether it's people in the, in the Solomon Islands or in Asia or in, or in Africa or in America and to the ends of the earth. God, we, we, we want to just acknowledge each and every one of our missionaries and we thank you, God, for their, um, God, for their incredible service, their sacrificial love, the way that they give of themselves to, to, just to be able to share Jesus with that extra that extra one per person. Hmm. And God, we, we want to uphold them this morning. Hmm. We want to especially uphold Mark and Kathy. And, um, and um, Lord, just, God, I just want to pray for your blessing and your, um, God, your love to flow in that family. We, we thank you for the life of Betty. And we want to honour um, that family this morning. Uh, God, we, we just want to pray, God, for your resourcing and your blessing over each and every missionary. God, would you, would you protect them? Would you keep them safe from harm? Would you provide each of their needs? And God, would you, would you open up more opportunities for them to be more and more effective in the days ahead? And we thank you, God, that we as, we as Hills Church have a great opportunity to, to share um, what God is, what you are doing across the earth. We, th- we thank you, God, that your church doesn't just mean this building. It means the whole world and your kingdom is coming. Thank you that we can be part of that mission and we give you praise. Mm. Amen. Amen. I'll hand over to Dave. Thank well. you. Well, it's great to be here. I just wanted to show you this little uh, flyer, which uh, there are some of those at the table if you want to grab one of them. That's in relation to Wesleyan World Missions and their self-denial offering. But I'd just like to pray before we uh, get into God's word and uh, just allow our uh, God to help us as we look to him. Father, we thank you that today is a great day that you've given us just to come together and uh, to meet uh, with your people and also to uh, just allow your spirit to touch our hearts afresh on this occasion as I believe he already has done so. We just thank you for your word. May your word uh, bear fruit in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Real people encountering a real God in real time and real places have much to teach us. Think about that. And uh, it's uh, because of that, I uh, think it's great just to even go to those places where God has worked mightily in times gone by. I went to the Holy Land a few years ago and there you come across the city of David and here he is playing his harp. Um, not sure if that was allowed uh, but uh, I think someone twisted my arm. But uh, if you have a look at the next shot here, 
Um, this one is uh, right there at the city of David. You're looking at ruins that go back many thousands of years. And uh, there's an interesting reference that uh, you see in the next uh, photograph that uh, mentions a guy by the name of Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah is uh, someone we read about in the scriptures, a great uh, man of God, known as a prophet and someone who taught us about God and how he wants us to live. But uh, the thing about uh, this man who lived so many years ago is uh, that uh, he was living in a time very much like our own, with many parallels to our own world that we find ourselves in right now. And I, I just like to list some of them. The fact that uh, on the uh, international scene, there was a lot going on. Big changes. Superpowers vying with each other. And uh, there was this little country of God's people, and they were caught in the crossfire. So they sort of thought, who do we support? The kings went to this one and that one. And then there was this another great power coming up called Babylon. And they thought, oh, that would be a good uh, one for us to align with in our own lives and see if they could help us. But the thing was, uh, they were coming up very fast as well. And next thing, they would take over their land. But uh, it wasn't just that. On the socioeconomic scene, there was stuff going on. And uh, Jeremiah uh, even talks about this toxic mix of plague, sword and famine. Does that remind you of anything? Well, uh, this is uh, what was going on at this point in time. Even though the country had seen a lot of prosperity over the years, things looked like they were about to change. Then Jeremiah warned of uh, the temple's demise and the fact that even though for 500 years they had that as the focal point of their faith, uh, that was going to be destroyed. The other thing that uh, was coming up Actually, if you look at this uh, next photo, it shows you the remains of not that temple they had at that time, but the second temple. And the fact that all of that was going to go. But uh, perhaps uh, the greatest thing uh, that was going to happen, not so much in a good thing, but the most life-changing for the people, was the fact that many of them would be forced into exile. They would have to not just leave their homes, but their ways of life, uh, they would be confronted with different customs. And perhaps for some of them, it would just seem like this is the end of my life because I don't like anything that's going on here anymore. So how does this fit with us? Well, in our COVID-19 world, of course, we are confronted with many of the same sorts of things. And in fact, uh, it's interesting that uh, there's the sense in which we too are like exiles. That's, that's an identity that uh, we could take on in our own lives. Certainly, uh, this is an idea that comes through Scripture. When we uh, even look at uh, Jesus himself, when he came to this earth, it was like he, he entered exile for a time. And uh, he showed us uh, how we deal with that uh, in uh, you know, experiencing what it's like to be a human being. But uh, he not only did that, he called followers to watch him and uh, do the same as uh, what he showed us in his own life. It's why Peter, in his first letter, called followers of Jesus foreigners and exiles. You notice this. And even references God's people as the church in Babylon. These are not sort of uh, random thoughts just thrown out there. 
they had uh, great meaning because uh, what Peter was uh, trying to get people to understand was that even though we find ourselves in difficulty and with lots of change and hardship and even people putting the pressure on us in terms of uh, our uh, practice of our faith, nevertheless, the message that comes through there and, of course, right through the scriptures is that we can maintain our allegiance to our, our true ruler. Even though there's all these other powers in place, there is one beyond that and uh, above all that, our victorious, risen and ascended King Jesus. So, that being the case, how is it that we can maintain uh, this uh, victorious reign of Christ in our lives? That we can let him take over and take us in the way that we need to go such that uh, we can experience all of his glory in our lives, uh, even in this present world. Well, what uh, we can appreciate is that the scriptures tell us how we can keep moving forward. And uh, the way is shown to us there in Jeremiah chapter 29. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. I'm looking at verses 4 to 14. And what we see here are various guideposts that keep us in the way of the exile such that we make great progress. These are not so much like physical markers, but they are spiritual principles by which we guide our lives. So the first of these, as we look at that passage of Scripture, is to faithfully serve where we are situated. Faithfully serve where we are situated, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. Of course, it's something unique for each of us, but to realise we can do this. Not cage up our lives in fear, but bloom right where we are planted. And we have to give ourselves permission to do that. First four verses, have a look of uh, this text. It says, The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all those he sent into exile to Babylon from Jerusalem, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and allow your daughters to get married so that they too can have sons and daughters Grow in number, do not dwindle away. Work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it, for as it prospers, you will prosper. It is so easy, sadly, to find ourselves engaging in self-pity and that leading to self-sabotage. What I'm saying is that we can be our own worst enemies by the way we look at ourselves Look at our situation and how we deal with that. Too often, uh, we take up uh, this idea that we should play the blame game. It, it shifts the responsibility of ourselves and it's something out there that is the problem. And because it's out there, I can't do anything about it. Rick Warren once said, Life is like a game of poker. You have to play the hand you're dealt. A wise player can play a weak hand and win the game. Have a look at uh, what Jeremiah is actually saying, not to the people who are still there in Jerusalem, but the ones who have already found themselves in exile. He says this, he says, Build, plant, marry, multiply, grow, work and pray. Wow. All positive sort of expressions of how you live your life. Faith-filled. And even this idea that take risks, they'll get rewarded. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't worry about how you're going to survive until Jesus comes back. The issue is that uh, God 
gives us this time. This is our time to go and do something with our lives and to appreciate that we still have amazing opportunities to serve God well, even now. Not to think, oh, well, I'm stuck in exile. I wish I could get back to the Solomon Islands. <laughs> you know, all of us find ourselves sort of stuck, it seems. But uh, this is perhaps is a new normal that we just have to accept and realise there's still much we can do. There was a, an old popular book called Chicken Soup for the Soul and the original one had these words, for me to be more creative, I'm waiting for inspiration, permission, reassurance, the coffee to be ready. I haven't had a coffee yet, I'll get it later. My turn, someone to smooth the way, the rest of the rules, someone to change. Fair, uh, wider fairways, revenge, the stakes to be lower, more time, a significant relationship to improve, terminate, happen. The right person, a disaster, time to almost run out. An obvious scapegoat, the kids to leave home. A Dow Jones of 1500, the lion to lie down with the lamb, mutual consent, a better time, more favourable horoscope, and my youth to return. And maybe you would add even more items to that list if they don't all apply. The point is... Don't wait. (laughs) Get in there and do what God wants you to do and make your life a gift to this world. The second of these guideposts indicating our text tells us or directs us to tell ourselves only the truth and not accommodate lies. Monitor our thinking and be very careful with what we allow our minds to be consumed with. Look at what Jeremiah says, verses 8 to 10. Do not let the prophets among you or those who claim to be able to predict the future by divination deceive you. And do not pay any attention to the dreams that you are encouraging yourself to dream or encouraging them to dream. Uh, They are prophesying lies to you and claim my authority to do so, but I did not send them. For the Lord says, only when the 70 years of Babylonian rule are over will I again take up consideration for you. And then I'll fulfill my gracious promise to you and restore you to your homeland. Now, put you in the picture, you've got to understand that Jeremiah was a lonely voice. There were these rival prophets saying that in two years, we'll get out of this awful mess we're in and things can go back to normal, what we knew before. That's what was being said. And uh, people like to hear this because it was... uh, you know, it was wishful thinking. That's what I want to see happen. That's the easy path. And so that must be the right way to go. We have to understand that there are things that are being told to us, whether it's the lies that others are telling us, the lies we tell ourselves that are not good for us. And so we need to identify what these actual lies are. First, the propaganda. Um, and this is what other people tell us. Maybe uh, they believe what they're telling us. Maybe they know it's not true, uh, but they have a reason for saying it. I think we have to actually take the view that all media sources in their various forms are flawed and uh, have some vested interest behind what they're doing and uh, what they're trying to get you to believe. Now, in saying that, I don't say that we should just stereotype people because they belong to some sort of... Uh, ideological stream that uh, they have nothing to tell us. We can say some person is all evil or all good and nothing in between, pigeonholing people. But we do have to accept that media is a business, 
harvesting human attention and seeking to uh, get us to think a certain way. Yale Eisenstadt, former CIA analyst and diplomat, said recently in a TED talk, this is what she said, lies are more engaging online than truth. As long as social media algorithms' goals are to keep us engaged, they will feed us the poison that plays to our worst instincts and human weaknesses. So that's uh, what we have to appreciate. The other one is uh, the lies that we tell ourselves, and this is our own cognitive bias that perhaps is even a bigger problem for us because uh, we have all come to develop a perspective on so many things in life that aren't necessarily true, necessarily true but uh, it's what we believe is the case. And uh, we don't appreciate our own personal blind spots where we are flawed in our thinking, where we become jaded, where we have uh, embraced something that uh, is based on what we know and based on what we've experienced, but it's not all there is to actually know and believe. So we look for things that just confirm what we've already come to accept rather than uh, realising there might be some alternative points of view. These are the sorts of things that were there right back, even in Jeremiah's time. But Jeremiah's time also reveals to us the way that we can get beyond this, as I was calling it, stinking thinking. And that is to go to God, because that transcends all this stuff, being open to what he has to teach us. And I need to add to that, not just looking at the scriptures, but developing great skills in interpreting the scriptures. Because unless we do that, then we can just make the Bible say whatever we want it to mean. And so we have to really appreciate that we have to distinguish what is counterfeit through our increasing understanding of the truth. That's the only way to go. As Jeremiah said this, in terms of what is really important in life, basically knowing God, and we show that by doing what he wants us to do, as he says there in chapter 9, If people want to boast, they should boast about this. They should boast that they understand and know me. They should boast that they know and understand that I, the Lord, act out of faithfulness, fairness and justice in the earth and that I desire people to do these things, says the Lord. A third of these guideposts indicated in our text. And I want to say that this ensures that we can do the other two. And this one is to reach for our response of God, to realise that we can do that and that we have a God like that. The thing is that the mess that this world is in is not something that human beings can fix up without God. It's not something that can be addressed without his help. When we look at uh, what the Bible teaches us, I like uh, looking at the big picture. What does the scriptures actually tell us? Well, it's not a removed God. It's not a, a rigid God. It's, it's a responsive God. It's a responsive God. That is the clear message of Scripture, the big idea that comes through. This covenant-keeping uh, God that is just waiting for us to do our part. Look at what the Scriptures say here. And this is uh, verses 12 to 14. When you, call, when you call out to me and come to me in prayer, I will hear your prayers. When you seek me in prayer and worship, you will find me available to you. If you seek me with all your heart and soul, 
I will make myself available to you, says the Lord. I will reverse your plight and will regather you from all the nations and all the places where I have exiled you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I exiled you. I think uh, God is trying to teach us something through COVID-19. Of course, he's always trying to teach us something. But it's very confronting, isn't it? So what, what is our lesson that we take from this? Are we taking anything out of it? Or are we just sort of putting up with it? Well, I think the big lesson here is that we aren't self-sufficient and that we do not have control. And so we have always needed God. And maybe we realise now more than ever that we need him now more than ever. And this is what we've seen. An entire globe that has been overtaken by this disease... And with all their collective energy and resources, they haven't been able to deal with it very well, have they? So what is the answer here? We have to go to God for the answer. That's what the lesson is. And uh, I think it's so easy, I know in my own life, to treat prayer like something that's like there on the side. You know, I've got my real work to do and I'll, I'll get to that if I can find the time. All right. Or, uh, you know, I've got to use my brain. I've got to work hard. I've got to, you know, the humanistic idea. What's in here is enough. But it isn't. We need more. So this is what uh, is uh, revealed to us, the instructions, active verbs. Look at them. Call, seek, pray, and find. But that's what we have in English, in our English translations. If we look at the original Hebrew words, there is much more meaning that we can attach than perhaps what we would uh, initially realise. Because in a sense, it's not just talking about something that we do, but something that God does with us and something God does for us. So here we should be translating this to really see it as call and are called, seek and are sought, pray and are interceded for, find and are found. And so to summarise all this... What I think this is really saying to us is that when we passionately seek God, abandoning all the distractions, the sin and everything that gets in the way of us doing that, it won't be so much that we will get to him, but we will allow him to get to us. That's, that's what he's saying here. You are holding things up and God wants to get to you. And he is trying to get to you. In fact, uh, he's ever chasing us down. I think that's why if a lot of people were honest about their spiritual experience, they would say, it's, I'm exhausted. Why are you exhausted? What is the issue? God's spirit and your spirit, he's trying to get to you, but you keep running away. And he's saying, surrender. Let me catch you. This is what Tozer said in his most famous book. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us he waits so long, so very long in vain. When we look at our lives, and I hope that you've been thinking about yourself here as I've been talking. As I've reflected on what I've been talking about, I can't help but think I've wasted so much of my life, so much of my life doing useless things. Things that just will not get me anywhere. 
It might be what everyone else in the world is doing, but it's not what God had in mind. Have a look at what the promise is here in Jeremiah. Famous words, for I know that I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. The message of this scripture is one of hope. Hope, real hope. Not something the world can give, the world cannot give it to us. The world has never been able to offer it to us. It has desperately failed at this. And yet, what we understand from Scripture is that there is real hope. And how do we get it? These are principles that I've highlighted. Serve where you are situated. Tell yourself the truth. Reach for your response of God. But I would be amiss if I left it at that. Because this does not come to you just by your own efforts. In fact, if it wasn't for God's historic intervention into human history, then none of this would be possible at all. And this is what Jeremiah says in chapter 23. I, the Lord, promise that a new time will certainly come when I'll raise up for them a righteous branch, a descendant of David. He'll rule over them with wisdom and understanding, will do what is just and right in the land. Under his rule, Judah will enjoy safety and Israel will live in security. This is the name he will go by. The Lord has provided us with justice. I don't know if you've worked it out. This is a reference to Jesus, our ruler, our righteousness. The one who came to this planet and through his death gave us forgiveness of our sins through his resurrection, a guarantee of our own eternal life with God. That's what the hope is. And so I just want to leave you with those thoughts in terms of how this relates to you, Erwin McManus, one of my uh, favourite uh, podcast speakers that I get to listen to when I'm in Australia, not so much in the Solomons, recently he said this, when we are his, the future is ours. He referenced 1 Corinthians 3, of course, where it talks about uh, this very thing. And the thing is that God has a plan for each of us if we let him do what he wants with us. It's up to us to respond to him and allow him to work mightily. As I think about my, my own physical exile, uh, not being there in the Solomon Islands right now, not knowing for sure when I will get back, I realise that that uh, reality doesn't thwart God's plans for my life, nor does anything that's going on out there in your world. And I'm not even talking about what other people are doing, things that you've done. Foolish judgments that you've made, even. What we know is God is saying our future is bright and he is utterly dependable. So let's trust him and let's do what he says and see where that will take us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that today is as good as any to trust you like we never have before. And I do pray, Father, that uh, this might be a time that we don't just have good intentions, but go further than that. Maybe we've got to talk to someone about this and say, hey, don't let me stay in this place where I am right now. Please help me. And uh, just help me to seek God and Make me accountable to you even to uh, just journey this way together. 
Lord, uh, there are different things that we can do to help each other. I pray that you would just help each one here to do that and most of all to go straight to you as we need to right now. We thank you for this, we pray in Jesus' name.